The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. After years and years of infrastructure week, we're on the cusp of an infrastructure decade that I truly believe will transform America. The U.S. Senate passes a $1 trillion infrastructure deal. Now Democrats turn their attention to an additional $3.5 trillion stimulus package. The Dow and the S&P 500 both hitting new record levels. The Nasdaq dipping as Treasury yields weigh on tech stocks ahead of today's key inflation reading. Lenovo beats expectations as first quarter profit more than doubles. And the world's biggest laptop maker says it sees net income margins widening. U.S. cybersecurity company Norton Life uh, strikes an $8.6 billion deal to buy Prague-based Pierre Vast in a cash and stock deal. Blockchain provider Poly Network suffers one of the biggest crypto heists of all time as hackers siphon off more than half a billion dollars in tokens from tens of thousands of accounts. Good morning, everybody. It's going to be another one of those days where we have a lot of corporate earnings coming through here in Europe, even as we talk about and weigh the ongoing conversation about whether inflation is transitory or not. We will get this key CPI data in the United States a a little bit later on. And we've got more Fed presidents out there talking about the direction of the taper and interest rates. But let's focus down on these earnings. ThyssenKrupp, third quarter numbers just coming through. The uh, group swinging back to an operating profit in the third quarter on the back of these higher materials prices. Clearly, we've seen the uh, automakers do better on the demand side, and obviously that's helping a steel business. So an uplift in demand from the auto sector. The group, though, cautioning the positive impact on its steel division uh, could be delayed the uh, group giving us uh, an April to June period adjusted earnings before interest and tax basically EBIT in at 266 million euros Uh, we got a loss in the year earlier period of 693 million that obviously related to the corona uh, driven slowdown so it is a bounce back at the operating line here we also had a slightly better than expected revenue line at 8.7 billion euros that was just ahead of the anticipated run rate so as we're seeing with a lot of these businesses that are very cyclical to growth, as we get this post-COVID lockdown rebound, they are enjoying the benefits of this higher demand at the moment. Karen. Jeff, uh, just taking a look at uh, the numbers from maybe an Amway that are crossing this morning, the company back in the black for this quarter, a net profit of uh, 393 million euros in the second quarter. And worth noting, if you look at the operating result, though, it is lower than the same time a year ago, 504 million versus 786 million this time last year. The company to pay out its 2019 dividend of 0.68 euros per share 
that will be paid out in October this year. A lot of positive commentary coming through from the company. They're saying operating performance in line with previous quarters, net impairment release of 79 million euros, and the QT return on equity at 7.6%. They say that's in spite of continued pressure on net interest income and incidentals. Also saying they're well ahead of the plan in CIB non-core wind down, over 80% reduction supported by loan disposals. The four-year cost of risk expected to be well below the through-cycle guidance of 25 to 30 basis points and also in a very strong capital position and somewhat uh, a bit of a head scratcher of the amount of capital that they have. 18.3% is where the Basel CET1 ratio sits at, uh, uh, which is uh, fairly high. I think we're all good at 18.3%. In terms of uh, what we're seeing uh, from the company in terms of other commentary, they're making progress and executing their own strategy to be a personal bank in the digital age. And uh, the company is saying they expect to reduce their current portfolio of around 1,300 products by at least 50% by 2024 from the CEO. So they are looking at shrinking uh, some parts of the business, streamlining perhaps, and uh, you are seeing certainly a, a move to turn around that CIB non-core portfolio as well. Uh, but we will continue this conversation throughout the program. We'll discuss the earnings with the CFO, Lars Kramer. Don't miss that first on CNBC interview at 7.30 CET, Yeah, and it's a fascinating story, isn't it? Because we are seeing the banks falling back in favour with investors at the moment. I don't know if we can just pop up ABN AMRO against the euro stocks year to date and pretty much tracking blow for blow the rebound in sentiment around the euro stocks banks that we've seen from the beginning of the year here. And I have to say, Karen, uh, looking at those numbers that you were reporting here, there are some encouraging lines the operating income um, perhaps off the pace of where we were a year ago. But it is worth pointing out, as you look at that CET1 ratio, I guess we may begin to ask the question, does this bank have a little bit of space to increase lending? Um, There is always the risk in this phase that you end up being overly cautious when you have an opportunity to extend credit to the real economy. But we will have that conversation, as you say, with the CFO. Just moving on, the big story of the morning, of course, beyond the CPI, although the two stories are, of course, connected. The U.S. Senate has now passed a $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill as 19 Republicans joined all 50 Democrats to back that package. Now, attention will turn to President Biden's uh, complimentary $3.5 trillion dollar spending plan, which Democrats aim to pass via a budget resolution. The House of Representatives is awaiting Senate approval for both plans before proceeding with its own vote on the stimulus. President Biden hailed the bipartisan nature of the bill just passed. Folks, above all, this historic investment infrastructure is what I believe you, the American people, want what you've been asking for for a long, long time. This bill shows that we can work together. Well, National Economic Council Director Brian Dees told CNBC the new package will act as a catalyst for the economy. This bill would be the most significant investment in infrastructure in a generation, and it would have a significant long-term impact on economic growth and the productive capacity of the economy. Hear the president talk about the independent analysis of this, uh, looking at adding trillions in the size of our economy across time. 
but also it will break practical bottlenecks that'll actually get goods to market uh, quicker uh, across our ports, our airports, our bridges. Chicago Fed President Charles Evans has called for a few more employment reports before he can commit to tightening monetary policy. But the FOMC voting member said the U.S. economy is well on its way, with the Fed's taper benchmark set to be met later this year. His dovish comments come in contrast to an increasingly hawkish portion of the Fed's members, while the country's latest inflation reading will come out later on today. And we're going to have more on the growing hawkish chorus among FOMC members when our U.S. colleagues speak to Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan later on today. That exclusive interview is coming up at 1900 CET. Terrific. Karen, thank you very much. Let's have a look at the uh, stocks close then, because there are a lot of interesting stories and themes floating around there. Um, The uh, end of the session saw us back at these near record highs again, with the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 162 points here. It was the Nasdaq that took it on the chin, not helped by that uh, spike in yields. But the market One, buying the idea that uh, we are not going to see uh, inflation get out of control, that uh, it is in fact transitory. And the other being that economic growth actually is on a fairly firm footing. And we've just seen this trillion dollars signed off in the United States to provide a fresh injection of uh, uh, liquidity, if you like, particularly for the construction and building sector. And there is a real multiplier effect if you get that investment right as to how that can affect the economy in both tangible and intangible ways. But let me offer a poser for you this morning as we take a look at the Treasury curve here. We have this key inflation print, and it is ever more important as we had what was a a very strong jobs number uh, out Friday. The question I posed for you this morning is, what do you do if the inflation print today is running ahead of expectations? 5.3% is what we're looking for on headline. What do you do if it runs below expectations? Are you thinking ahead to any adjustments you might want to be making in your portfolio as you reflect on where that inflation number is going? And it's always a good mental exercise, I think, as you test the robustness of your own investments against the here and now on the economic data. So the 10-year note back up to 1.36%. But let's not uh, overblow this. It is a firm reflection, I think, of the commentary that we continue to get from many of the Fed speakers, but it doesn't at this stage uh, suggest that the market is terribly fearful uh, of increasing inflationary pressure and the Fed becoming more aggressive on interest rates, even if they do bring forward the taper. So let's have a look at the uh, dollar because it was really all about the stronger dollar and stronger yields yesterday and how the cyclicals in the U.S. market managed to make gains as uh, the market reflected on the growth drivers and the growth opportunity. And here we are. We've got the dollar in the driving seat on the yen, which is just a little easier on uh, sterling dollar this hour. But we're really not going anywhere fast on the U.K. pound and euro dollar, as you, you can see, one spot one seven. Well, the Asia markets, what's the legacy then on this key day today? What's the legacy we get from the Asian trading session? And we are firmly in, in the green on the Asian stocks. And we've got some interesting 
uh, individual Asian stories to get to a little later on, not least uh, the results out of the uh, Hong Kong Stock Exchange. How is that business going, given, one, uh, the uptick in IPO activity, but two, some of the pressure around Chinese regulations? We'll reflect on that a little later as we catch up with Emily in Hong Kong. So let's talk about what you need to think about today in terms of your investments. And we've got a a particular UK focus, but maybe we can open to uh, Vivek Paul, the UK Chief Investment Strategist at BlackRock Investment Institute, with just a very open question, Vivek, about that headline inflation data in the United States and the commentary from some of these Fed presidents. Do you see any meaningful shift from today's inflation data in how we need to think about tapering and interest rates? Well, look, firstly, thank you very much for having me on. And I think um, inflation clearly has been a a dominant feature for for thinking about how markets are shaping up for a period of time now. We've been quite firm in our view that over the medium term horizon, so when we're looking at sort of five years and beyond, we do see higher inflation pressures that are likely to mean that, you know, we're going to see CPI in the order of two and a half to three percent rather than in the sort of one and a half to two that we've been used to for the best part of this decade. I think making firm conclusions around the near term is difficult. Um, The reason being clearly that, uh, you know, we're in this sort of activity restart right now where you're going to always going to have sort of supply and demand kind of crashing against each other to some degree as the economy opens up. But I think the the view that we'd have that is firm is around the more medium term story where we'd see inflationary pressures definitely kind of starting to occur and seeing that, you know, we get used to a a little bit of a higher level of of inflation for a period of time. Vivek, we seem to still have um, plenty of appetite for equities, uh, whether it's UK, US or European at this stage. Again, do you see any shift in that appetite, either geographically or sector-wise, as we move firmly into the third quarter of the year and leave this uh, period of corporate earnings behind? Well, I think the first point to say is that um, that that is understandable for us in the sense that we do think this is still a constructive horizon, a constructive period, I guess, for for risk taking, be that tactically or on a sort of longer term horizon. You know, we prefer equities to fixed income right now, um, and you know, you the reasons for that, I guess, are very much the extraordinary, still accommodative uh, support that we've got. Uh, that you know, even with uh, the onset of taper, that would still you know kind of satisfy that 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 sort of description. I just gave. And in terms of this sort of regional story, it's all about that nature of the activity restart. And if you like, the, the baton passing from region to region as this year unfolds. You know, when we started the year, the US and the UK were the two regions where we were overweight in terms of our equity allocations. And that was on grounds of the fact that they were ahead of the curve in terms of that vaccine rollout. Earlier on in the summer, though, we kind of shifted attention more towards Europe. Um, the rationale being that you know you can switch the lights on once, but you can't sort of switch them on more once they're on, if that makes sense. As in, there's more bang for the buck to be had from regions that were a little bit behind that curve in terms of the initial vaccination. So from here, still constructive on equity overall in terms of the global picture, but we maybe sort of start to pivot to some of those exposures, in, perhaps in Europe, where there's more bang for the buck for the activity restart to really take. 
Vivek, can I just test that theory about this relay race? Because we've watched enough of them. We've seen the baton sometimes slipping, slippery fingers, bad execution on the pass. And this time around, if you consider that we've got this COVID situation unfolding globally still, some vaccines uh, have been rolled out aggressively in some countries. But even then, we're seeing a rise in infections. And it's coming down to the way governments are treating the infection from here and reopening the economies that is going to be the, the real key test for the economic recovery story. Is there a risk that other jurisdictions do not perform and then we're going back to the United States still being more dependent than other parts of the world? Well, look, I mean, of course, that's a risk. And that is the thing that we need to watch out for with regards to you know, the spread of, of Delta or, or any other variants that might then come. I mean, we, we, we can't ignore that. That is that's clearly something to keep an eye on. But clearly, the bigger picture here is that in regions across the world, you know, the uh, despite the in, in the developed markets, at least we we are seeing that sort of um, dislocation between infection rates and hospitalizations, uh, certainly relative to where we were at the start. Now, that's not to say that there are not things to be worried about, clearly, in parts of the emerging markets and some other regions where vaccination rates are a little bit further behind, um, there, there's likely to perhaps be a little bit more of a bumpy path towards that recovery. But the direction of travel is towards greater vaccination over, over a, the coming sort of months and, and years, and, and that can only be positive for the activity restart more broadly. So, I'm not trying to ignore the risks. I think they're real, but I think the direction of travel still remains clear despite that. Noted. I also want to ask you about the US 10-year yield because we've seen a little bit of action on the back of employment reports as the market's digested a fairly hot payrolls number. Uh, what happens from here, though? Because if we've gone peak growth, then we may not uh, see stronger numbers coming through from uh, various different macroeconomic uh, data points. What happens to that US 10-year yield? Great question. And you know, for us, over the course of the sort of medium term, if you're thinking about five years, the path is up. Um, you know, and the, the the rationale for that, I guess, is is not just if you like the the immediate considerations that you've said, but I think I mentioned a little bit earlier. We we do see higher inflation uh, in the course of the coming sort of five years or so. That is priced into markets, and that's despite the you know. A, you know, uh, material increase in inflation expectations we've had over the course of the last what year and a little bit longer than that, we still think there's, there's room for upside appreciation from here. And what does that mean? That means that the term premium that is uh, sort of embedded in in something like the 10-year, we think over a medium-term horizon is likely to, to come back relative to what the markets are pricing. So we would see that US 10-year somewhere north of uh, 2.2, 2.3 in the course of five years. The path between now and then uh, potentially could be a bumpy one. And, and you know, it's, it, we have to acknowledge there have been material moves in the course of the last few months, but the longer term direction of travel for us is clear. It, it's higher. Uh, Vivek, let me ask you specifically about the FTSE this morning. It's a frustrating index for a lot of, lot of UK based investors. Uh, we seem to be struggling to get very far above this 7,000 mark. And as you look at the performance of the FTSE year-to-date against other European indices. It's a clear laggard against the Zetra and the CAC. So uh, what do you do with the FTSE from here on in? Is there still an opportunity to make money this year? 
I think it's all about being selective. I think the the, the point I would make here is, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, in terms of the big regional calls, you know, the UK wasn't overweight for us at the start of the year for the reasons I mentioned. We think more broadly, regionally, actually, uh, attention should should rightly focus uh, towards Europe, and that's kind of the way which we, which we've been positioned. I think in the UK, um, clearly, there are some sectors and thinking about the FTSE that are well positioned for playing into that sort of global recovery that we, as I mentioned kind of uh, anticipate to, to kind of take on that uh, the point basically being that I think we need to be a little bit more selective in in the UK than perhaps some other regions because some of the activity restart we think uh, might have already been seen. Vivek Paul thank you so much for joining us this morning much appreciated Chief Investment Strategist BlackRock Investment Institute. We are keeping a keen eye on inflation today as earnings season begins to tail off. And if you've missed any of it on screen, don't forget you can listen in to our podcast. That is the Squawk Podcast. And uh, we're going to focus on uh, the kind of numbers coming out of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. When we come back, it's among a number of companies that have been reporting quarterly earnings from the territory. We'll be live in the city to break them down in just a moment. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. Let's take you to Hong Kong and focus on some of the earnings from businesses listed on that market. The world's largest laptop maker, Lenovo, surging more than 7% in the morning session before reporting first quarter profit that more than doubled, beating expectations. Hong Kong's flagship airline reported a half-year loss of 7.5 billion Hong Kong dollars, down about 23% on the year after a raft of cost-cutting measures and strong cargo demand. Emily is with us live from Hong Kong to wrap up some of these earnings. Good morning, Emily. Hi there, Jeff. And we're seeing uh, some nice uh, performance in uh, shares of Lenovo. Let's start there. Uh, the nice uh, 7% pop uh, investors ahead of the earnings release and continuing on the back of it, uh, continuing to cheer these earnings. Uh, Q2 profits at a record $466 million. as an increase of almost 120% on year. Uh, this is for the second quarter. Revenues of almost $17 billion. That is up 27% on year. It was a record performance across all three of its business groups. Uh, intelligent devices, infrastructure solutions, as well as solutions and services. The company says that they've been able to benefit from the trend of digital and service-led transformation. Across its geographies, uh, China saw a 54% increase in sales uh, in the Americas, up 39%. So Lenovo performing quite nicely today. We look over at Cathay Pacific, Hong Kong's flagship carrier, and they managed to narrow losses in the interim 
uh, $963 million in the red. That is down 23% on year. Uh, revenues of $2 billion U.S. dollars, and that's down 43% on year. Passengers carried was down more than 95% to $157,000. Uh, the company seeing a load factor of 18.9%. That is down 48% yield of 94.5 Hong Kong cents, an increase of more than 70%. Uh, the company saw strong cargo. Uh, cargo carried was 549,000 tons on a load factor of 81.4%. That is up 12.1 percentage points. Uh, the company also indicating that 90% of its pilots, 69% of its cabin crew have either booked or already had their vaccination. 40% of the aircraft are parked outside of Hong Kong and they hope to be operating at about 30% pre-pandemic capacity by the fourth quarter of this year. And they're also hoping to achieve about $125 million cash burn or less for the remainder of this year. They're saying that COVID continues to have a severe impact on their business and that's until borders can reopen. We're also looking at Hong Kong exchanges and clearing. Hong Kong's bourse operator uh, with profits at a record high, $848 million for the first half, an increase of 26%. This is on revenues of almost $1.5 billion. Average daily turnover of $21.3 billion. Uh, the market saw volatility in the first half, according to uh, the chairman and of course, all of us saw that as well. Concerns over the path to recovery from the pandemic, fragile geopolitics, as well as rising inflation levels. But through this, Hong Kong maintained resilience and drove new market and product initiatives. Uh, in this period, in the first half, we saw a flurry of IPO activity, uh, the likes of JD Logistics, as well as Kwaisho Technologies coming to market. The funds raised, hitting 22 excuse me, $27.2 billion, up 128% on year. Hong Kong exchanges are trading firmer by almost three-quarters of 1% at $519 last done. I am going to be speaking to Nicholas Aguzin, the company's new CEO. He's 10 weeks in, in his first TV interview, and that'll be airing first on CNBC at 11.30 CET. That's 5.30 Hong Kong time on Worldwide Exchange. So you don't want to miss out on that. I'm going to be talking to him about the volatility that we're seeing in the market all the China regulation and the impact on China tech and whether or not that uh, makes the Hong Kong market where all these stocks are traded less attractive and of course the earnings coming through from Hong Kong Exchange. That coming through from Gucho a little bit later today. Back to you guys. All of the hot topics, Emily. Thank you very much for bringing it to us. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.